Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. Today we are on episode 70 and talking about Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. It has been a wonderful start to the new year for me, and I hope all of my listeners out there are having a good new year as well. So one of my good friends and I have been talking about changing our environments is changing our lives. We started out like doing these small things and pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zones, and we're definitely agreeing that it's making a big difference in both of our lives, even though they're just kind of small changes that we're making. I'm definitely still struggling with the depression sometimes, but I just keep moving forward, taking things one step at a time, and it's amazing to see that some of the changes that are happening in my life uh, and in myself with these small steps and these small things. Well, I'm definitely happy with myself as a person. I can understand what a struggle the struggle is like for those who have mental illness. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about mental illness and uh, trigger warning suicide conversation too. So that's something that makes you feel uncomfortable, maybe skip ahead a little bit. So some news broke la- late last week that was the faked suicide of romance author Susan Meachin. Meachin reportedly died by suicide approximately two years ago due to the intense bullying she received from other authors. And there's a lot of anger and outrage surrounding the revelation, which I completely understand. Reportedly, authors donated money to the family for the funeral and expenses. Other people in the industry helped complete Meachin's like final novel and publish it posthumously. And while I do believe that she deserves every ounce of the backlash, it's obvious that she is someone who is deeply disturbed. She's someone who really needs help. Like What she did was absolutely reprehensible, but I also believe she's still deserving of a little empathy as well. Looking at those who helped her who are hurting in their own right, I definitely don't say that lightly. For them, I can understand they might be feeling that she's getting a little bit of what she deserves. I believe life is hard enough, and while there are those out there who are willfully hurting other people, I choose not to be one of those people, and I try to urge others to choose kindness. And I think this story also shines a light on internet bullying. Some people feel emboldened to say what they think and feel. It's They're more comfortable being cruel when they're able to hide behind the anonymity that can be the internet, or even just feeling that they can behave that way from the safety of their own homes where there is little to no repercussion for their behavior. Unfortunately, I don't see this changing at all, and sometimes it feels as though the toxic places on the internet are getting worse. It's definitely one of the reasons that I limit my time online, and it's definitely done wonders for my mental health. Remember, if you're feeling bullied or finding yourself falling into toxic patterns online, it's okay and it's healthy to take a break and remove yourself from that situation. Again, I don't condone what Meachin did. I'm sad to hear about it for many reasons, and I feel like it's a good reminder to practice kindness and empathy, even if we feel people don't deserve it. We just never know what someone else is going through. So if you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or struggling with a major crisis, please reach out to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. You can call, text, or chat, and please see my show notes for more resources. Getting to the booze this week, honestly... (laughs) 
What this book really needs is a good whiskey. Alcohol was mentioned a few times from beer to sherry and whiskey. And if I was a whiskey drinker, I would suggest a good whiskey. Since you all know, if you listened before, I am not a big fan of hard liquor. And I went with a red wine for this one. Red wine so often meets the occasion. And for a book set in the Victorian era, era. I wanted something that felt a little rich and decadent. I first tried Carmenier in episode 24, which was almost a year ago. And I really loved it. And I've honestly had a few bottles of that Amigo Peril Carmenier since then. And I wanted to sample another Carmenier and it seemed like it would be the right pairing for this novel. Carmenier is a Chilean wine from the Colchuga Valley region in Chile. I picked the Route 1 Carmenere since I liked the price point, and I didn't write it down, but I think it was like right around $10.99. While work is picking up here a little bit, I'm still very focused on being frugal. And while this one wasn't a terribly popular wine, the reviews it got were really good. And I'm glad I read the reviews before sampling, since one of them suggested like an hour to an hour and a half of decanting. So I thought, hey, I haven't done much decanting before. Let's try it. And I really did feel like it made a difference in the flavor. I would say this being my first time that I've ever decanted a wine before, I might try it again. And especially for some of those um, less expensive bottles, it might make a difference too. The color of this wine is a beautiful deep red and had a really beautiful rich flavor. The flavor profile has notes of vanilla, blackberry, cherry, and a bit of smokiness. I could distinguish a berry flavor but couldn't quite pinpoint the berry, but I could detect that underlying smoky flavor. I thought this was perfect for the imagery of the gritty streets of London from the late 1800s. The flavor was smooth and supple. Some recommended pairings were grilled meat and marinated vegetables, which I actually thought was a great pairing for the book as well. I was thinking like a more rustic meal, a more simple meal. And so that sounded really good to me. So since I'm cutting back on meat, I think this would be good with some grilled vegetables and like a hearty crusty bread. To round it out, I'd add a little aged cheddar, like a five-year-old or higher cheddar with that tang, I think would pair really well with this wine. Getting into the author, Sarah Waters. She isn't really a writer that I'd heard about before, though I had heard of Fingersmith several times. Sarah Waters was born July 21st, 1966, and she's a Welsh novelist. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. She is best known for her novels set in Victorian society featuring lesbian protagonists such as Tipping the Velvet and Fingersmith. Waters was born in Nayland, Pembrokeshire, Wales in 1966. She later moved to Middlesbrough when she was eight years old. She grew up in a family that included her father, Ron, mother, Mary, and a much older sister. Her mother was a housewife and her father, an engineer who worked in oil refineries. She describes her family as, quote, pretty idyllic, very safe, and nurturing. Her father, quote, a fantastically creative person, engaged, encouraged her to build and invent. Before writing novels, Waters worked as an academic, earning a doctorate in teaching, Waters went directly from her doctoral thesis to her first novel. It was during the process of writing her thesis that she thought she would write a novel. She, she began as soon as the thesis was complete. Her work is very research intensive, which is an aspect she enjoys. Waters was briefly a member of the long-running 
London North Writers Circle, whose members have included the novelist Charles Palliser and Neil Blackmore, among others. Waters also has a website where her bio isn't much more interesting, actually, which is sometimes kind of rare, but Wikipedia had much more interesting information, though I did like the extras section. And in the gallery of the extras section, it had photos from like the various plays to which Waters' work has been adapted. There's also a video section with trailers from those plays and a link to interviews that Waters have has given. For the book, so getting into things. This book was recommended to me last June during Pride Month, so it's been on my TBR list for a while. It's one that I was really excited to read because it's set in the late 1800s in the Victorian age. It's a little bit older as it was published in 2002. I have mentioned, though only briefly in passing, that when I was younger, I was a huge fan of Victoria Holt's novels. Victoria Holt, who is actually Eleanor Alice Burford, I loved the gothic romance, and while I read a lot of the books, I felt in comparison, Holt often wrote about strong, independent women. Yes, they always ended up with their happily ever after, but at the time, they were definitely often women that I wanted to be. Fingersmith is billed as a historic crime novel, and while I think it's a little bit of that, I also find it to be heavily gothic romance. And Romance often gets a bad name, and I'll be honest, I have sometimes avoided the genre due to a lot of stigma surrounding it. I never wanted to be that girl that read romance. Though I was listening to the radio the other night, and I heard that publishers had record-breaking sales in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic, but those sales fell again in 2022. Though despite these statistics, romance novel sales remained strong and were a huge driver in the publishing industry. So I looked up the stats and I linked in show notes, but romance genre continues to grow and is the leading growth category for both U.S. print and digital books in 2022. So definitely book talk has helped with the increased sales of romance novels novels. It's something that I see discussed a lot that book talk is ruining real literature. Personally, my opinion on it is that I think more readers is always a great thing and that demand is always going to fluctuate and change with the times. So romance has always been a huge category and it's just in demand right now. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And I still think there are incredible books in other categories that are being written as well. It may be harder to get them published because romance is such a strong genre, but there's definitely still books that are out there that are getting published that are great. And I'm always on board with people finding books as a new joy or something that they haven't experienced before. So I'm not I don't follow book talk, but I am on board with what it's bringing and what it's doing for the industry. And so anyways, my point is, I feel like I was a little misled by the description of the historical crime novel and was slightly disappointed because of that. It also might be a little my fault, so I'll take ownership of that. I don't like learning too much about a book before I read it because I don't want to know the spoilers. And I think what little I did learn had me thinking that Fingersmith was something that it was not. And all of that being said, I do think it's worth the read. If you haven't heard about Fingersmith, it's definitely more of a gothic romance a la Victoria Holt designed for the 21st century. It's the story of two young ladies, Susan or Sue, who is raised in a house of thieves, and Maud, 
a lady who was raised in the abusive, sprawling estate of her uncle. Susan is recruited by another thief to work as a maid for Maud, and a plan is put in place to defraud Maud and her uncle of Maud's inheritance. Susan learns that you can never trust a thief, and the story takes an incredible and fascinating turn. At its heart, though, it's a love story between Susan and Maud in a time when their love would never be allowed for many reasons. Water's settings are beautiful. It is atmospheric, and it brought me back to that fantasy world of my teens, where all I wanted to be was a governess or a lady's maid at a large estate in England. I never wanted to be a lady or mistress of the house because their lives seemed incredibly boring and stuffy and too controlled. (laughs) Her description of Sue's London life are rough and gritty. It's so incredibly well-rounded that I could feel myself there as one of the family of thieves that Sue lived in. It's such a beautiful juxtaposition from London to the countryside estate. Sue finds the country beautiful, but also boring and quaint compared to city living. As someone who's lived in both the city and the country, I could definitely relate with Sue's emotions and her homesickness. Enjoying the fresh air, but longing for the hustle and bustle of the city and her makeshift family, which she felt loved her so much and where she felt like she truly belonged. The love story between Sue and Maud is so well-written. It's slow and well-paced when so many romances have the love and the romance happen too quickly. This feels much more natural and almost like surprising as I feel like it's surprising to both the young ladies that are involved. I can already envision the reviews because as you know, the characters, none of them are very likable. In this case, they are very real in their flaws. The love that blossoms between Sue and Maude happens even though they are each hiding huge parts of themselves from each other. They themselves may be toxic people, but their love as it unfolds, I feel is just so pure and natural. One of the biggest problems I have with this novel is that it left me wanting for so much more of the two of them together on the page. But as is with life, things don't always unfold perfectly and the best laid plans often go awry. I'd also recommend that you learn a little bit more of this novel before reading than I did. This is one of those times where my lack of knowledge about the story backfired a little bit. I was expecting certain things to happen, and when they didn't, my impatience kind of got the better of me. I wasn't sure where things were going, and that sometimes made the story less enjoyable for me. So without giving things away too much, the story is told from Sue's perspective, then Maud's, and then Sue's again. I immediately thought the crime part of the historical crime novel meant murder. And while there is a murder in the book, it's not central to the plot. And it happens in probably like the last quarter of the book. It's the unfolding of a story full of lies and manipulations. So if you read the novel, enjoy the slow layering and unfolding and figuring out those lies. It's not just the scam that Richard and Sue are planning on defrauding Maud with that is central to the story. One of the themes of the story is family. It's about both the family you're born into and then the family that you create as well. Both Sue and Maud are orphans, Sue's mother being hung as a murderess and Maud's dying in childbirth. Maud's only family is her uncle who takes her into his home once she's old enough to be helpful in him writing his books. Sue, on the other hand, is adopted by Mrs. Suxby, and even though she grows up in a home full of orphans and lost souls, she feels really loved and cared for. 
At one point, her care from during her care from Mrs. Suxby, when her hair is being cleaned with vinegar, she says, quote, you treat jewels like that. Comparing Mrs. Suxby's treatment of her to how they clean the jewels that they steal with vinegar to shine them up and then go sell them. So despite her upbringing in a house full of thieves, Sue is a bit naive. So on the streets, they call her slow. <laughs> and I see it in her raising and the love she feels from Mrs. Suxby. Even though she's a thief and is surrounded by people begging, borrowing, stealing, and scamming to survive, she's terribly and very unfortunately trusting. She even acknowledges this at one point during the scam that she might be too soft-hearted to move forward with this scheme. It's also an incredible book about women's bodily autonomy and the male gaze. This part is a bit of a spoiler, so skip ahead about two minutes if you'd like to avoid it. So we learn fairly early on that Maude is abused by her uncle. We don't learn until later that the abuse is both physical and sexual. Well, I didn't get the idea that her uncle touched her sexually, but we learn the books that he's working on and the books that he holds dear are smut and basically pornography. Maud is subjected to both pornographic written word, but also images. It has made her, the woman that she is, while not worldly of life, worldly of men and sexual desire. It's very much the objectification of women and an emphasis on how, especially during the Victorian era, women's bodies weren't their own. Maud is cruel and horrible at times, though there is so much in her psyche that needs to be released that it's hard for me, at least, to hold it too much against her. Both Sue and Maud are doing what they think they need to for their own survival. A big spoiler here, so skip ahead 30 seconds on this one, but Sue's institutionalization and Maud's betrayal of Sue are just two big ways that showed women do not have bodily, autom- bodily autonomy. It's so subtle, though Waters really makes a phenomenal statement here that is well-written, but also incredibly intentional. I used to wonder, like when I was in high school, different English classes, and when I was writing my own stories in high school, how much was intentional in exceptional writing, and how much was just random coincidences that turned out to be symbolism or great symbolism. I'm like, I wonder if the author actually really put that in there for that reason, and we're interpreting it the right way or the way the author wanted it to be interpreted. And for me, This is one of the signs of an excellent writer. When a book can be read and enjoyed superficially, but for the more discerning reader, it can be delved into and the intentions of the writer are uncovered and the weight of that message becomes obvious. Water's writing can be easily enjoyed superficially. She's got some great moments and really quotable lines. Maud says of desire, quote, This feeling haunts and inhabits me like a sickness. And I thought this was a beautiful, relatable line about desire. And then I think it was Sue who says, quote, but this is not that kind of story. Not yet. Which was some beautiful foreshadowing in the moment, but also so driving and moving the story forward. There's also a moment where the doctor says of Maud being a woman and a woman who reads that 
quote, I fear for the future of our race, (laughs) which in itself is a statement about how women were treated at the time, but also how women and the LGBTQ plus community are treated now. It's an incredible book and the writing is phenomenal. It's a book that absolutely deserves four stars, but I'm going to give it three stars. The reason for me is that while it's an incredible book and written in a way that I know the author felt appropriate for the story, I wanted it to be a little more accessible, especially with the romance. One of my favorite parts of the story is when Sue calls Maud a pearl. It's so sweet and simple and raw. Though to me, that story was like a pearl. It seemed hard and cold when I wanted it to be more lush and soft. I get that that's not the point of the story at all, which is why I say that it should be a four. I couldn't help but be disappointed, even though I did love it. There's also a BBC adaptation, which I watched on Prime with a seven-day free trial of AMC+. And I thought it was a great adaptation, very close to the story. It doesn't bring the themes of female bodily autonomy or the male gaze in as well as the book does. That part is a little lost, but this love story is so beautifully visual as the idea of family is also fleshed out nicely. The part that is really funny to me was the character of Richard or gentleman was played by this handsome young man. And I absolutely did not envision him that way at all. So that's a difference I took on as the reader because he is described as in his late twenties and handsome. His heart is just so black. I just had this image of him as this creepy older man. So that part kind of threw me a bit, to be honest, but I totally take responsibility for that. That's the imagery I had in my head even though that's not truly who the character is. There's also one part of the story that I felt was a little clearer and more obvious than the book. I had my suspicions from the book, but the limited series adaptation made it much clearer. There are also other adaptations of the book out there, but I did not get a chance to look into them more. Goodreads gave it a 4.02, One reviewer said, quote, this is a Victorian murder mystery with a lesbian romance. You will probably love it, but even if you don't, it's highly unlikely you will have read anything else quite like it. Again, the murder mystery part is so minimal to the story that I don't even feel like it should be mentioned, really. Another reviewer said, quote, this book is so unexpected and I love it. I totally agree with this one. There's so many twists and turns that I don't think anyone could see coming. And I think I've mentioned this before too. My mom is phenomenal at knowing what's going to happen in a story. There was a period in time when I would watch movies with her and I would I would get so mad because she'd be like, I bet this, this, and this is going to happen. And it happened every single time. <laughs> so she would just like ruin every movie that we watched. <laughs> and this is a book that I don't even think that she could guess what is coming. So it is really unexpected. Another reviewer said part one equals amazing. Part two and three equals is this book over yet? Another reviewer along the same line said, quote, boring, just boring, painfully, painfully boring. Are you willing to slough through 592 pages of wannabe Victorian writing for a couple of plot twists and lesbian sex scenes? And well, I think this is kind of a fair review as it is along the lines of the slower paced books that some people just aren't fans of. 
For example, The Secret History, which I reviewed a couple episodes back, which is a book that I still think about, um, but it can get tedious. This book could too, especially if you're a more superficial reader. And I also mean this in a best the best way possible. There are times that I just want to read a book and enjoy it and not think any more deeply of it. This is definitely a space safe definitely a safe space with no reader shame. I am part of a subreddit about books and I'm always sad to see people ask like, I just read X book. What did I miss? It's always a book they've heard so much about. It's gotten rave reviews from their peers or online and it just didn't do it for them. I don't comment on these anymore, but I used to. And I always just want to tell people you didn't miss anything. It just wasn't the book for you. Just because it seems like everyone you know loved it doesn't mean that you have to, and there's nothing wrong with it. Plenty of great books out there that you will love, so don't waste your time wondering about a book that just didn't do it for you. So media recommendations this week, The Menu on HBO Max. So from my understanding, this movie didn't get great reviews, but I thought it was great. This group of foodies from around the globe are invited to a private island to sample a special tasting menu of one of the most well-known and popular chefs. I love the cast from Anya Taylor-Joy, who starred in The Queen's Gambit, to Ralph Fiennes and Judith Light. It was a fascinating satire of the cult-like behaviors in the fine dining industry and a terrifying thriller as well. As I've mentioned, I'm always a huge fan of the like, we're all trapped here together trope in horror, you know, trapped in a, in a space. And that's exactly what this movie was. Also, A Million Little Things on Hulu. I realize that I've suggested this before, but I did finally finish the series. And I have to say, I absolutely loved it. It's just very heartbreaking at times. And honestly, I cried a lot. It was so very real. And I just thought it was a great example how life's ups and downs can be incredibly difficult, but in the end, it's so worth it. There isn't just one reason, but a million little things that make up this entire life. And it's a million little things that make this life worth living. The fifth and final season premieres in February, so I will be sure to catch that. If you're like me and you like to binge everything and you don't like to wait for things, wait until season five is done because it is the final season and then watch it all from the beginning. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don'treaddrunk. You can email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com and check out my website don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. This is a hobby podcast. If you'd like to support me and the podcast, you can do a one-time donation through PayPal through don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. There is no apostrophe in the don't for my email or for anything else online. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sunup on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, the newly opened Supernova Coffee and Donuts downtown Milwaukee. If you haven't had their donuts, they are fabulous. Next episode, we'll be talking about Queenie by Candace Cardi-Williams. Bye, and talk to you soon.